One, two, three. <laughs> Ooh, so that was actually quite good. That didn't sound laggy at all. Right. Well, we'll do it then. Let's do, no, let's do one more, just to be sure. Okay, okay. Clap. Don't say clap. I, I thought you said clap. No, I didn't. Did I say clap? <laughs> no, let's do... How hard can it be? One, two, three, and then a, okay, okay, an okay. actual clap. Go, 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 go. One, two, three. Sounds like you're going clap into no, your mouth. No, I wasn't. That was my hand. <laughs> okay. Regular listeners to... I can't even say this. <laughs> Regular listeners to the show will know that I don't often do a formal introduction because, you know, it's not as good as something on the BBC unless that is. I've got a really special guest. And this is one of those weeks because after literally months, months of trying to set this up, months of painful negotiation and deliberation and I'm general... So other things beginning with dis, <laughs> disorganisation. You can laugh. Sorry. My very special guest is actor, comedian, star of Vic and Bob's House of Fools, where she plays Rachel Ellie White. Hello. Hello, everyone. How was that introduction? Absolutely brilliant. Spot on. Perfect. I wouldn't argue with any of it. This is the most serious introduction I think I've ever done, which is no, weird. I think you should start every show like that now. No, you see, normally I don't do an introduction because I like people just to think that they're overhearing a conversation on a bus or a tube. Yeah, but I think the thing is, is that big stars like me really need, I, you know, you wouldn't really be hearing a conversation on the bus with me. You'd only hit, see me on something like Graham Norton or something like that. So I really need an introduction like that. You certainly deserve an introduction <laughs> like that. No, it was it was brilliant. I feel very privileged. Thank you. It is weird that I did such a serious introduction, considering that you're a comic. Do we, do we call you a comic or a comedian, or is it just an actor? Yeah, I was having say? this conversation just today that it's really embarrassing. I've always found it very embarrassing introducing myself as a comedian to people, because people immediately go, "Oh, tell us a joke then," or like, "Oh, that's so amazing. You must be really funny," and things like that. And uh, so I try and avoid it at all costs, just in case I'm feeling in a. Um, particularly unchatty mood. Um, yeah, I, I think you have to be, when you're introducing yourself as a comedian, you just have to be a bit more on on it than uh, I like to be most of the time. Do you have a joke lined up just in case they say, go on, tell us a joke? No, I usually just turn bright red and start sweating profusely. That's my go-to. That's my go-to joke. It's looking really embarrassed and wishing I'd never said it. Crawling into the nearest cave. I wonder how people who have been comedians for a really long time I mean, how did they just put up with that? How does Lenny Henry put up with that? I don't know. I, I just I, I just think you, you probably get to the stage where you're confident enough in your own comic ability to just embrace it. Or people are people probably don't ask you what you do anymore. They just kind of go, oh, it's Lenny Henry. Great. We'll chat to them. But most people I meet have no idea what I do and go, what do you do? And I sort of go, oh, kind of so com- comedy and a bit writing. Sometimes I perform, I don't know, like that. Do you want to know a secret? Yes. I haven't told anybody this. Certainly not on the podcast. Oh my God. No, it's not embarrassing. Well, It's it's, exclusive. It's embarrassing for me. (laughs) Years ago, and we were talking a long time ago, when I was at university, I went to see Lenny Henry play at the local student union. Yeah. And got hopelessly drunk, as you do, because you were a student. And this was the days when, you know, students could actually afford to drink because, you know, a pint was 50p. It wasn't like... £8.50 like it must be in London right now. Exactly. And um, so I got hopelessly drunk, my friend Matthew and I, and we were kind of just lurking around the student union like a bunch of bozos <laughs> at the end of the gig. And we were kind of by the back door, by that car park. And Lenny yeah. came out and got in the car and drove around the car park. And we, as his car passed us on the way out of the car park, yeah. we got down and did David Bellamy impressions because at oh the time he used to do this David Bellamy impression grapple me grape nuts oh my god and Matthew and I did this and he not only stopped got out of the car came over to us and said it's not like this it's not like that it's like this oh grapple my god that's gra-. incredible and uh, and that was our kind of Lenny Henry encounter wow I've got a Lenny Henry encounter go on I um before I started doing comedy, I, I was desperate to, to sort of get into acting and stuff like that. And my friend worked for Lenny Henry's agent and Lenny Henry was um, learning lines for this play. Um, and for this play where he had to be the main part in. 
and he needed people to practice his lines with every single night to go through the parts with him. And, uh, and so I met up with Lenny Henry and I was like 18 or something. And, uh, in the Groucho club, waited for him for two hours and he turned up and didn't say anything apart from he was like so in character. And I had to read the entire play through with him in a deep South American accent, pretending I was black um, with Lenny Henry for an hour while he ate chicken goujons in the Groucho Club. And then he left and I was just left there on my own. <laughs> That's my Lenny Henry. Your Lenny Henry story tops my Lenny Henry story. No, it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. But that's amazing, your one, because my brother once saw um, Rowan Atkinson in the street and he went up to him and he was like a little boy and he loved Blackadder. And he went up to him and he was like, oh, can you say that line from Blackadder? Um, stick, when Sticky the Stick Insect gets stuck on a sticky bun. And, uh, and Rowan Atkinson said, only for TV, and then walked away. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a bit. bit I know. Stinky. Some people don't like it. Some people don't like it. You see, I try. I mean, I've, occasionally, I don't. You know, I don't hang out in the green room much. Um, but occasionally, I'll see or be in the company of somebody that's on the telly. Yeah. And <laughs> you try and play it cool. <laughs> you do try and play it cool. You try and, in fact, I'm sorry. This is this is another really embarrassing celeb story. But I, I sat, sat next to J.K. Rowling at a wedding recently. I sound like I'm hanging out with all these celebs. I really, really never meet anyone. But she was weirdly there. And I was so nervous. I asked her what she did because I didn't know what else to say. And she was like, I'm, an, I'm a writer. And I asked her what sort of writing. And she was like, <laughs> fiction. And I was like, oh, that sounds brilliant. <laughs> and then she turned away and started talking to someone else. And that was all we had. Oh, my God. <laughs> my moment with JK. Sorry, I, I interrupted you anyway. I sat on a train with Arthur Scargill, the trade union leader, once. Oh, God, that's glamorous. That wasn't particularly glamorous. <laughs> he was just on the same train, but occasionally. <laughs> Arthur Scargill is a great name. Occasionally, when I'm in the company of somebody that's on the telly, try and play it cool. I was in a hotel lobby and Stacey Keach, the actor, was there. And you just do this kind of knowing eyebrow raising thing. Like, <laughs> Hello. Is it... <laughs> As cool. if that's going to make someone come over. Oh, hello, how are you? And what I really wanted to do was kind of rush up to him and go, oh my God, I loved my camera. But of course, you, know, you, you <laughs> must get that all the time. I know, it's so it's so hard to know what to say. I really, I, I just usually just avoid, try and avoid people and go to the loo, <laughs> hide in the loo. Well, people are going to know you best, I suppose, right now from House of Fools. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't think I know one. I don't. I've had like two, maybe two people come up to me and say, "Oh, you House of Fools." But I think my wig was so good at disguising who I was. That Where did all they, your hair go? It gets like it gets really strapped to your head, so it gets like tightly pinned to your head, and then they put a kind of sock, like a tight sock, over your head, and then they glue the the wig onto your head so it's actually glued all the way around my head so it doesn't fall off wow yeah it's pretty uncomfortable we we had to do two records in a day and by the end of the day like I couldn't it felt like I had Botox like I couldn't feel my face anymore it was bizarre I'd just like to take a moment to thank Shopify for supporting us now I know I've mentioned this before but for years we avoided taking on e-commerce projects because well, dealing with the technical issues was way less interesting than the creative work that we like to do. And recently, we've started working on e-commerce sites again, and the reason for that is Shopify. There are over 165,000 stores running on Shopify today, and that means that there's a lot of work out there for designers and developers who create and customize Shopify stores. And there's not only demand for Shopify-focused designers because Shopify also helps designers and developers grow their businesses through the Shopify partner program. And it costs absolutely nothing to create a partner account and you can open an unlimited number of test stores to try out the Shopify platform. Shopify offers its partners an enormous amount of free resources too, including newsletters, the Shopify blog, 
workshops, discussion forums, marketing materials, and advanced access to new features. And if that's not enough, Shopify have just released a book about how to grow your design or development business. And the book's called Grow, and it's got 11 chapters by industry experts about how to attract clients, draft contracts, close deals, and more. Even my contract killer gets a mention. You can now download a free copy of Grow. Click or tap the link in the show notes to get yours. That's unfinished.bz, and that's where you'll find the show notes. And that's Shopify. Thanks a lot. But there's more to you than House of Fools, though, because I've been looking at your IMDb page, and it says that you played Girl in Children of Hearn in 2009. Does she have a name? No, but you, that isn't real. What? That's not a thing because I went. Someone was like, someone said that to me recently. They said you've got IMD, IMDb page, and I was like, what? No, I don't. I, I've never hardly been in anything. And they were like, yeah, you do because you're in House of Hearn. And I was like, no, I'm not. And I went on it, and it said I'm in the series House of Hearn. Children of Hearn. Children of Hearn. Yeah, House of Hearn. No, but you should have been in it. You should have been in it. I'm not in it. I'm not. How that, did that I, happen? I've no idea. I've no. <laughs> idea yeah it's really funny it really makes me laugh i'm so sorry if i've misled you no it's weird and i was getting really excited because i was reading do you watch it are you a fan i've never seen it 2009 what would i be watching that is i don't know even what it was it might have been a children's telly thing but the synopsis the plot summary was great because i've got it written here caitlin which wasn't the girl, it was, I think that was a character, is a wild 13-year-old who has ruled the house since the mysterious death of her mother a decade before. Now everything is about to change as she finds herself suddenly on the move with her father to the village of Avebury. I'm Googling it. Which sounds like something from the Cotswolds. With its ancient stone circle and secrets that have been hidden for millennia. It sounds incredible. It sounds like something I would love to be in. Wait for this. As her true identity emerges, she is flung into the gravest of danger. The local doctor is a man frustrated by thwarted ambition. Now he's prepared to use unspeakable evil (laughs) to call upon lost, forgotten forces. And Caitlin is right in the centre of his plan. Oh, my goodness. Why were you not in this, Ellie? I don't know why. I I would have loved... I I was deep in my first year of university. I... I wasn't anywhere near the the children of Hearn um, set, but I wish I wish I was. You, I, I really, wish really you wish. were. <laughs> Girl sounds like a really interesting and intriguing part. I mean, well. whoever made this up, they could have thought of a name. They could have called. Uh, I don't know. Well, I'm trying to think of a name. Clarissa. Clarissa would have worked. <laughs> Clarissa. Well, I played Car- Clarissa from Children of Hearn. That was my first role. And then I moved on to House of Fools. If IMDb page is not accurate, then were you in the Mr. Bean TV series? No. Well, I would, did do a Mr. Bean thing, but it was only one sketch. Okay, because that might have been it then. Was it a funeral? Yeah. Okay, that is correct then. Why? Is that on there as well? That's on the IMDb page too. It just says That's funeral. bizarre. I mean, literally, I was like, I had about two shots of me and that was it. Well, I'm just gutted. I'm absolutely I'm gutted. So I was, sorry. I, Do you want to stop this podcast now? I was going to look out to see whether I could get Children of Hearn from you know from iTunes. On I wish I can't even find it on Google. Where is Hearn? Hearn is is it Hearn Hill? As in well, South London? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, all I, all it says is Hearn and Crabtree estate agents. Nick Hearn books. Yeah, Hearn and Crabtree. But that's the only house. Oh no, no, sorry. I've typed in House of Hearn. That's why Children of Hearn. Children of Hearn. Child of Hearn. No, Children of Hearn. It doesn't. Children of Hearn, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn Wiki. No, it doesn't even come no, up. On there's Google. Children of Hearn. I think someone's com. just made it up and it's added not, it. It's not. Children of Hearn.com. A dram- Dramatech and Evans and Finch production. Welcome to the world, the web's first truly interactive drama for kids. Watch the videos, interact online with the characters, and visit the locations. Wow. Whoa, and you are down for this. God, I, I'm so, I feel very privileged and really excited. I think they're trading off your name, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that when I go into auditions. Like, what have you been up to recently? Well, I was in Children of Hearn in 2009, if you've heard of that incredible cult series. Andrew the web's Clark, first truly interactive drama for kids. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait to go, start going to conventions. 
You could make what children of Hearn conventions that probably exists. Yeah, you should start going because you like conventions. I've been to a couple of comic conventions. (laughs) They are the weirdest thing. Don't shy away from conventions. Conventions are brilliant. I'm sure that I mean I've not seen conventions in the full extent that I know conventions can be. I've never been to a Star Wars convention, for example. You know, a random film to bring up. But I've you know, but I have been to conventions where um, people come dressed as characters from Games of Thrones, for example, which is Was it a Game of Thrones convention? No, actually it was just a regular comic convention in Wrexham of all places and people came they do for miles. Pop up in odd odd sort of the middle of nowhere, Middle England, don't they, these conventions. They're great. They're exciting and everyone's dressed up. No, I mean, all respect to the people that, that make Chewbacca costumes because yeah. it's, it's, it's quite amazing. And they put a huge amount of effort in and they must get really hot walking around a gymnasium all day. What do you do, though? What, what are their stalls and things? Well, they, they have um, signings. So there's usually an area where actors will charge for signatures and photographs and stuff like that. And it's not cheap. You know, it's like £25 for an autograph photograph, something like that. Oh, and the real characters are there. Sort of oh, stuff. yeah, absolutely. So the last one that I went to had a whole ton of Game of Thrones actors there as well yeah. as others. And you'll get people like comic book artists like uh, Charlie Adler that writes uh, Walking Dead, for example, or draws Walking right. Dead. And they charge for, you know, drawings, etc. Yeah. And then there'll be panels where they'll, you know, there'll be like a moderated discussion about a particular show. So there'll be a Game of Thrones panel yeah. or a Star Wars panel or something like that. And uh, yeah, and that's what pe- fans just come and, and talk to their idols. So did you go to the um, Planet of the Apes one? No, there hasn't been a Planet of the Apes convention really. In fact, the last two times that I've been at a convention, I've said goodbye to my friend Shane, who, uh, <laughs> who I went there to see. And got in the car. Your good friend Shane. I got in the car, and um, and about ten minutes later, I see him tweeting a picture of a guy walking around in an ape's gorilla costume, and I'm thinking, bastard, because I missed that. It's amazing. People are. I mean, they 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 really devote their lives to these things, don't they? Mm. They really, really do. I wish I I wish I had a a hobby that 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 ran as deep as going to conventions, but I don't, sadly. Well. I think there should be a House of Fools convention. Yeah, there should. I mean, Vic and Bob fans are, you know, very loyal and, and they're fierce and they're, they're great and very nice. Well, let's talk about House of Fools in a minute. In a bit. In a minute, okay. yeah, in a minute. Because I want to I go back a little bit because I've been reading up and I think your big break... And this, this is relevant to web I people know, too. I, don't even, I haven't had a big, big break. Have you had a big break, but you had a big-ish break. Right. At the end oh, of the House festival, of the end of festival last year, because oh, yeah. you did your humans show yes. at Fringe, yes. and that's the one where you got reviews in the Independent and the journals yeah. of note yeah. that yeah. talk about comedy and stuff. Um, but actually, it's really sad because I wanted to maybe see some video from that or you know read about it, but the actual humans page on the Fringe website's dead. It's like a far not found. Oh, the same thing with your Ellie and Oscar share some time page as well. Yeah, that well, that's that's something that probably belongs in the depths of of the internet for no one to see or read up on. But there's not a lot of content available online. I mean, there's not... I don't have a huge online presence. I don't know why I probably should try and get that out there, but I don't, I don't really. I, I don't put that much stuff on YouTube or I don't, I hate filming myself. So I, I don't really put, I don't film my live shows and put them online. I find it a, a, a bit weird, like filming theatre and filming live stuff, because it's probably best watched live. Yeah, maybe I should put myself out there a bit more. But Edinburgh was fun. Do you, do you go to Edinburgh? No, in fact, I've never been. It's 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 great. It's it's highly stressful for a performer, which sounds really um, like I'm kind of shy, like work shy, because it's only an hour. You only have to perform for an hour a day, but the kind of pressures of doing well and I don't know you know you you go up there with so such high hopes and there's 50,000 performers or something like 7,000 shows so I mean the 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 average audience is seven seven people and so it can be quite disheartening at times (laughs) but I went up with when I when I first started doing comedy which was the Ellie and Oscar share a time with my friend Oscar who's a brilliant um like quite surreal character comedian and he and we split an hour so we did half an hour each and we I mean I didn't have an agent I didn't have publicity or anything like that and we were 
absolutely terrible at publicizing. Like we'd go out like 10 minutes before our show and kind of really timidly hand flyers to people and then go into our show and be really pissed off if there was no one there. Uh, like as if we deserved an audience after not, not flyering at all. And I mean, most days we've got, cause it was free fringe. So they have this, they have this thing called the free fringe now, which is like a really good way of getting new, you know, if you're a new performer, cause people can go up and lose thousands of pounds paying for a venue and people not buying tickets and things. So the free fringe basically just allows you to go up, have a free venue and then people can see the show for free. And then they put money in their, in your bucket at the end, if they like it. Um, and so it was free. So we occasionally, we, we did get people in, but occasionally there would be days where there were kind of two Spanish blokes at the back, um, having no idea what we were talking about. And it was thoroughly depressing at times, <laughs> thoroughly depressing. But you got some good reviews. But then last year I, I did, like I'd had a year to kind of work, you know, do the clubs in London and, and get a bit more publicity and, sort of recommendations from people so I was lucky and I did the free fringe again and it was really nice and I got some nice reviews and people came to watch it and it was it was good fun so you've done the fringe twice now yeah but I did it as a as a student as well and this sort of crappy student sketch show which was fun but also I mean, thinking back on some of the material I mean it bears not thinking about but it was very fun as a student you're just you're just excited to be there and you're with your friends and it's it's good fun there's less pressure i think so i'm surprised about the whole lack of social media profile because i would have thought that it would be pretty much essential these days to have i know a, i think it is yeah i think I, i'm it's yeah it's probably to my detriment i mean if it's not a youtube channel then it's a facebook page or <laughs> yeah, a just, twitter profile you have to set all that stuff up yourself and i just find it really i find it quite hard to you know if if i was if someone else was going oh, i'll make you a website or i'll do that you know i i just think it's quite scary doing it on your own going you're talking about yourself in that in that sort of third person way maybe one day maybe i'll do it maybe i'll make myself a web page tonight i can help you can you yeah I'm a designer yeah absolutely should I, should I make a web page maybe that would be actually it could i think it might be really good i can help you with that but i would have thought that it was fairly essential i mean your twitter profile right now says running as if the very whip of her master is behind her it doesn't even say what you do <laughs> lord of the rings quote yeah legolas I know what it's like, though, watching yourself or listening to yourself and needing to and, and feeling uncomfortable about editing. Yeah. I've, I've, um, I do some conference speaking every now and again. Yeah. And once in a while, the organizers will uh, put up the video. And what they always do is they always email you first and say, OK, the video is ready to go live. Would you like to review it? And you have to sit through, you know at least five or 10 minutes of watching yourself. Yeah, it's really hard. I, I can't. I, in fact, I. I didn't watch myself in House of Fools. I, I, I had to, I did watch it, but I kind of, well, I was very tense, very, very nervous about watching. I find it really hard. And I do voiceovers as well sometimes. And you get played, you sit in this little booth and you get played back your voice. And it sounds completely different on the, on the record than it does in your head. And uh, it's just hard being confronted. I mean, I have to get used to it, but it's hard being confronted with your own face and your own voice, especially when your own face is in a ginger wig that's probably the most unflattering and probably probably the most unflattering outfit anyone's ever seen. But that's the thing. You've got to do it. You've got to do it for comedy, don't you? Well, let's talk about House of Fools. We've got to talk about House of Fools because <laughs> I know it's been over for a few months now. Yeah, that's sad. Um, but how did you get the part? Yeah, it was, it was, it was so, it was very random because those guys don't, they, they just ask people that they like basically to do it. And, um, so they wrote, they wrote, you know, they wrote that part for Daniel Simonson. They wrote it for Dan Skinner, for Matt Berry and, um, Morgana. And so for the first series, they were rehearsing the first series and they needed someone to, when they were rehearsing, they needed someone to come in and read the parts that they'd already cast, but they didn't want to, um, if the actors weren't available, for example, like, so Rishir Smith, he could only be available for like the record date, for example. So I went in and read parts that the actors, you know, the guest actors couldn't be there for. 
I don't know how I got that. I can't even remember, but I just went in and read these parts and they were really nice and nice and funny. And then they came, the second series, I just, they just asked me to come in and read this part. Cause I think in the first series I'd read for, um, Dan, did you watch the first series? Oh yes. Do you remember that episode where Daniel's um, mum comes? Vaguely. Yeah. And she, she's like this, this Norwegian, like ax wielding woman. And like I read for that, and I think they thought I could do a Norwegian accent. So they asked me to come back and read for um, Rachel, and she was she was just supposed to be in the first episode. And I read I read for it, and I read for a couple of other parts as well. And then they asked me to come back for a second read through, and they'd written her into the whole series. And then Bob came to see my show in Edinburgh, um, which is probably the most intimidating audience member I've ever had. I mean, he was he's obviously lovely, but it was really scary. And then, yeah, they just offered me the part, and that was that. And That's I went amazing. In. Yeah, it was really amazing, and it was it was such a great thing to do and terrifying. But because I know that Bob and Jim have taken mm. people under their wing in the past. I mean, uh, Dan Skinner. Yeah, in particular, well, pretty much all of. In fact, apart from Morgana, every single other person who was on that car in that cast their first job had been with um, Jim and Bob. So like, and Tony Way, for example, who was like a guest star on one of them, he, he, his first thing was with, with them. And they just like, they, they, they take, and they, you know, this was, this didn't really come from their mouth, but from like the producers and stuff, they, they really like new people and they like kind of giving people a chance and, and taking people under their wing and, it was, I mean, it's, it was an incredible opportunity and it was so nice of them to give me part. <laughs> and I, I, every day I had such imposter syndrome. I genuinely thought someone was good, like kind of tap me on my back and be like, you're not supposed to be here. We didn't really mean for you to be here, but it was, yeah, no, it was great. It was absolutely great. I was reading somewhere that there was quite a lot of improvisation a lot of the time in terms of the dialogue. Oh my God, they... So they improvise all the time. I mean, watching them rehearse is absolutely amazing. Like they just, so you get the script on the Monday, the script on the Monday. So you have three days of rehearsal. And then we went up to Manchester because we filmed it in Manchester, at the um, television centre there. You then do a camera rehearse on the um, Thursday and, and pre-records and stuff. Actually, it was mainly pre-record. Sometimes we even wouldn't even get a camera rehearsal. And then you would, that's all the like falling through the banister stuff and their, the flying bits. And then on the Friday, they would, um, you'd, do the, you'd do the show. And so you get the script on the Monday and by the Thursday, it'd be a, almost like unrecognisable script, like completely different. And they would improvise a lot. Everyone would improvise a lot. I was terrified to improvise because it was like pretty much my first job. Um, but Daniel... Daniel loved to improvise, so I had to I had to deal with that on live live recordings. Daniel <laughs> plays Eric. We should say Daniel for plays the Eric. Listeners. Sorry, Daniel, play, Daniel plays Eric, and he loved to, he loved to throw in a few curveballs. All right, then. So I've got to ask. People. I have to ask mm. how much of that classic flatfish sketch, which I love. How yeah. much of that was improvised? That 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 was like that was like their they loved. No, that was all them they loved writing that like that was that was like what she that whole character like oh hey julie uh, you look great thank you and how's your day been having as you've had as the day goes to up until now happy birthday <laughs> we went to the aquarium to see the flatfish Rachel, she loves flatfish. Yes, the flatter the better, I always say. I hate round things. I love flat things. Oh, I love flat things too. Do you like paper? That's oh, very flat. Yeah, her paper is good. A4, A3, A5. I don't mind. Exactly my point. Um, so, did you have a lovely time? What did you get up to next? We went to an embankment. <laughs> Is it nice? It was okay. We had a crap. I beg your pardon. A crap. It is a low, flat French pancake. 
very, very, very flat. <laughs> yes, it is very flat, isn't it? Yes, not round. <laughs> very flat. <laughs> I think we added in a few, like, I think the spatchcock chicken stuff came from rehearsals. And, like, there was, we brainstormed, like, 500 flat things, I think. But, yeah, that was, there were a few extra stuff. But, yeah, they're great writers. Like, they can write amazing scripts. Um, but they like to just keep things fresh, I think. I always wondered why you had to go to an embankment to have a crap. I know, because they like, they do whatever they want. Jim and Bob, they just, if they like, if they find something funny, they, they put it in their TV show and that's why they're so great. Like no one else would do that, but they, they do because they're so true to themselves. They just, they're, they're so unique. They would have been sitting in their writer's room and they'd gone, oh my God, wouldn't it be funny if she had a crap on the embankment? And then they wrote it in the script and then it was on telly. <laughs> the writing, like the writing filters you have to go through with most stuff that you do. And Jim and Bob are just like, they're, they're so carefree. It's amazing. I didn't think that that was Rachel's best scene, though. <laughs> I thought that actually the, the scene in the final episode where she's deciding which one of Eric or Beef or, oh, God, was it Morgana? Oh, and Dan. Yes, that's right. It was Eric and Dan and Beef. Which one of those was going to pretend to be uh, Bob's girlfriend? So let me get this straight. Mary's not going to appear. That's exactly what I'm saying. Good heavens. I mean, you know Vic as well as I do. This will destroy him. Well, can't we just get him another date? I'm afraid there's no time. I have an idea. Remember, he has no idea what she looks like now. So one of us must pretend to be Mary. Who is the most ladylike of this quartet? (laughs) Not me, for sure. So it's between us three, this trial, that us all strike a romantic and sultry pose. And I will choose the most womanly and feminine of your displays. <laughs> Begin. I am Bosch Rogan Josh, and I am occupation twat. <laughs> Elegant, with a hint of casual impropriety. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eric, and I'm Bob Mortimer's son. Biff. Yes. <laughs> Flawless, dusky complexion with romantic intent, an erotic masterpiece. It has to be Biff. It was never in any doubt. Oh my God. Yeah. See, that scene was written. Bob changed the lines on that. I mean, seriously, 10 minutes before I went on stage and did that. So we rehearsed for that for three days and then he he completely changed all of the lines. Which one of our quartet is the most ladylike? (laughs) And she says, not me. And he's dressed. Oh no, he's not dressed as a woman at that stage, is he? Well, a beef. No. I'm going to have to cut the audio from that scene into the podcast because it is just brilliant. It's brilliant. It's it's so, it was just such a pleasure to work with all those people. I was just in awe all the time. Like, I mean, like Vic and Bob, obviously are absolutely fantastic. Like I, I wasn't like, I didn't, you know, you have some people who really grew up watching them and I didn't, but I, I have watched loads of their stuff since and I just find it so hysterical. Matt Berry, like Garth Marenghi is one of my favourite shows. Toast of London's brilliant. Morgana's incredible. Dan Skinner. And you just go in and you're like, and Daniel, I, Daniel actually I knew from stand-up, like stand-up circuit. So I knew Daniel before, which was really nice. But um, yeah, just going in, just being in awe of all these absolutely incredible performers. It was like a dream come true, really, but also quite scary. I mean, apart from Rachel, obviously, I think, Matt Berry's beef has to be my favourite character. I used to have the first song from the first series memorised at one time. Did I you? mean, it is just so hilarious. My name is Pete. I'm a hard-loving beast. And I live next door to these two. I travel this land, removing my pants while making love to African ladies. <laughs>
He's he's just, he is incredible. Like he's so. Me and Daniel always talked about it. We, Daniel is really so funny about being free on stage because <laughs> he really admired um, Matt and and Vic and Bob especially, and Dan and Morgan, everyone for being just really open and free. He was always like Matt Berry, man, he's so free. He's so free. Because he just goes on and he doesn't, they, none of them give a shit. They're just so unselfconscious. It's amazing. I've always admired people that can do that kind of stream of consciousness yeah. stuff where literally things just kind of flow. And, yeah. you know, it's coming from some place I'm sure that we don't understand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I also think they've been doing it for years. They've got such a, you know, they've got such a, um, a following, like a, you know, I think that that kind of confidence probably, although Vic, like, he always told me about like when he first started doing it and he was like, I just wanted to be a rock star. Like, that's all I wanted to be. I wanted to be a rock star. I wasn't doing it because I enjoyed comedy. I just liked being on stage and doing stupid things. So I think he's always, it's obviously always been inside him, that kind of like, you know, that sort of, yeah, that, that ability to just let loose like his subconscious thoughts onto the world and just so happens that his subconscious is very interesting and very funny. So, did you ever listen to Just a Minute on the radio? Yeah, I love. I used to love it, and we I used to play to it in the car. That. My dad used to make us do it when we, we were kids. We did that. We did that with with our Shoot. son. I mean, it was yeah, and we were trying to go for a minute without deviating or hesitating yeah. or repeating. It was so. I remember it being really scary. But Paul Merton. As another one of those characters, I mean, you know, in the whole kind of Kenneth Williams tradition yeah. that could just literally go. Um, and I don't know whether you see Paul doing as much of that anymore. Certainly not on Have I Got News For You. He used to do it and, and somehow yeah. doesn't He anymore. still does all his improv shows and things like that, doesn't he? He does like Comedy Store and Comedy Store Players and he does his improv, improv show up in Edinburgh. So he must have to do it. He must have to do it for all of that. Let's talk about comedy stores in a minute because I just sure. want to talk about Rachel just one yeah. more time. Of course. Because I just wonder. I wonder about her. <laughs> Not in a weird way, obviously. <laughs> she's got problems. She's got some serious psychopathic issues, I think. I just wonder what she does when she's not on screen. I mean, what does she do for a living? I don't know. I, don't, I, I think she's... Yeah, God, I really should have thought about this. It's like a bit more method. But I think her and Eric... Like, I, I definitely think they go to, they, they like to wander around conventions, but they, they have, they're just those aggressive nerds, you know, like aggressive nerds who just are so obsessed with things and each other. And when they find their set, they are the happiest they'll ever be because they're, ostr because they're so like ostracized from society usually that they're really happy when they find their kindred spirit so when eric and and rachel find each other it's heaven you really have thought about this haven't you <laughs> ah, that's more method than i expected <laughs> except i still don't know what her job is i always thought she was quite young so i don't know maybe she's a student does she live with her mum no she moves in with eric before that she's she's just she's just maybe she's up back in sweden or norway or wherever she's from i think norway does she live in a flat? I think she lives. She definitely lives in a flat. Uh, she lives. She lives. She lives in a flat pack, IKEA flat. That's where she lives. Everything's flat pack. Well, how much of Rachel did you create, and how much was already there when they cast it? Well, I mean, like, because she's similar to Eric, so I had. They they were genuinely so generous. They were like, you can do whatever you want with it. And I really liked taking her in the like more psychopathic direction. So like there's that scene where she's got a gun pointed at Bob and they were just like, yeah, because I, like, I was like, oh, can I have a gun? And they were like, yeah, sure, sure. So I was like, I think for the next, if, if I always, Vic always said for the next series, like she should be, she should have murdered someone or she should you know, she should be in prison or going to prison or facing charges of murder. And I think she's uh, she's definitely a psychopath. I want to see a Rachel spin-off, even if it's just like a series of shorts on YouTube or something. <laughs> I just there's more to that character that we can see. I loved I loved their relationship. I, I really, yeah, like because obviously I built from from Daniel's from Daniel's character, like that he kind of created as Eric. And uh, but I liked because he's obviously has all that stuff with his dad and hating his dad, but I like the fact that she kind of 
pretty much hated everyone and hated hated society in itself. Apart from her dad, of course, who was killed by a beach ball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Her dad's dead. I think her family's dead. I think her family is dead. I like to think her family's dead and she's an only child. She's like, she's kind of like Dr. Evil spawn, you know, like her mum had webbed feet and her dad, and then they dropped her off in an orphanage and she grew into a psychopath. That's what I like to think. Let's talk about comedy clubs then. Because <laughs> actually, this is, no, seriously, I was in New York. This sounds really glamorous, doesn't it? So I was in New York. I was in New York last week. No, I was. I was in New York a few weeks ago and I got invited to the Comedy Cellar in Greenwich Village by uh, Alan Havey. He was on the show uh, yeah. a few episodes ago talking about what he did in Mad Men and uh, he's a stand-up comic too. So he invited me to, just a coincidence, happened to be in the city at the same time. And he oh, invited wow. me to go and see the show and Jimmy Carr was also Ooh. on the bill and uh, he was dangerously funny. Was he? And we actually got to hang out, actually. We, after the show, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of like weird, I'm sitting surrounded by people that I've seen on the television. Yeah. But those, those clubs are amazing because you do get, you do get um, people like, you know, big stars popping in to do bits because they need to, obviously, they need to test new material and there's what better place to do it than a kind of CD, CD seller. So if you'd done stand-up stand-up I mean would you describe what you do as stand-up I don't know like, I, I've never done stand-up like I've never done I um yeah no um yeah you know the thing about tubes is they're really you know it's not it's character it's characters so I still play in like comedy clubs and stuff but it's I always do characters so they're not it's never myself on stage chatting to the audience about you know politics or what's annoyed me or like children or being a feminist or anything like that but i try and observational stuff i try and you know some characters are more topical some characters are more surreal so some characters are kind of like stereotypes of people that i've i've observed or they're or they're kind of really a bit more niche so it, it it just completely depends but yeah so i'll 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 get a you know a 10 minute 20 minute slot in a in a comedy club I probably wouldn't get booked to do like jonglers or comedy store or anywhere like that because I think like the the nights that I do are usually more like character or sketch driven um, because audiences are can can sometimes it can be a bit jarring to have a um, to have a character comic on when they when they just want to like shout and you know be chatted to by a stand up really. It was a good night in the comedy cellar. I was uh, I was grateful of the Frenchman in the audience <laughs> because he was uh, the target of most people's. Uh, well, that's the thing. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be. I think even as a character, like you have to be able to, you know, take people's, you know, like pick up, like because audiences love it when you engage with them. However much people like cringe, I think people do like if you can be like quick and sharp with an audience like it's such a good way to get them on side like I've gone out to quite scary audiences and as soon as you kind of you know as soon as you shy away from engaging in them they're they're not going to be on your side like I think you need that kind of like engagement with them because otherwise they they turn on you they can turn on you they don't they don't always but they can Sometimes I'll do smaller conference events or kind of local meetups, and I'll usually say, and I like it when people are a bit banterish, um, and I'll sort of say at the beginning, you know, heckling is mandatory, you know, not do just you? acceptable. Oh, God. I think it's my worst nightmare to be heckled. But I have to say, I don't relish it because I'm not that quick-witted. I've got some friends who do sort of similar stuff, and they are amazingly quick-witted. And if they need yeah. to come back with a put-down or something like yeah. that, then it's literally on the tip of their tongue. Whereas I often look back at exchanges and think, oh, I wish I'd said that. That would have been really funny. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's that classic thing where you have, you know, when you, when you, you leave an argument and then you think of like the best line to throw at someone in your head 10 minutes later or in my case 10 days later is exactly that with with stand-up you're like god I could have said something so much better than what I said which was probably very unfunny when I said it how do you find working in comedy clubs I mean you've obviously done it quite regularly recently I did a gig last night but it's it's like 
it really varies. It really varies. Like sometimes it's really amazing and electric and great and buzzy and atmospheric. And sometimes it's for German blokes who've stumbled into a pub and have absolutely no idea what you're talking about that's so, an upgrade from the two spaniards you had in edinburgh i know i'm, just, I'm, I'm getting better your I'm audience is growing europeans i'm getting doubling my europeans year by year it definitely completely varies i i still get so nervous before i go on stage and so um i kind of like run on adrenaline usually wherever i am even if there's only four germans i still get nervous so um yeah no it's fun though it's fun when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's really bad. We offended lots of Germans last week, so we can continue in that same tradition. They don't understand comedy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know many Germans. No, I know plenty of Germans, and they're all really nice if you're listening out there in German no, land. I love Germans. We love Germans. Say. The cuisine's brilliant. Berlin's a wonderful city. Actually, Berlin's a really nice city. It is. It's really like that. Do you look to other comedians for inspiration in maybe the same way that you know designers look to other designers i mean who do you admire i suppose it's difficult because you don't want to you don't really want to be accused of sort of well especially like i i have so many people that i admire that are like working you know that, are, that i've i've sort of done comedy with like i'm doing a show in edinburgh this summer with another like i'm doing a double act this summer with another comedian called Natasha Dimitriou, who's absolutely brilliant. He's like a also a character comedian and her brother Jamie Dimitriou and like sketch people. Um, but in in terms of like people older than me, like I when I was a teenager, I my my favourite people were like League of Gentlemen, I loved so like Rishi Smith, all of that lot. Then I watched Brass Eye, so Chris Morris and Armando Iannucci and Steve Coogan, like all of those, I suppose more like charactery people than like stand-ups. I like, I, I, I really like stand-up, but I, I prefer kind of Julia Davis and those maybe like slightly more darker character, character-driven comedies than kind of panel shows or, or like Live at the Apollo or stuff like that. So that was my, that's probably my influence, I would say. Well, I love Kenneth Williams. <laughs> No, seriously, I really do. And in fact, when I was a student back in back when Kenneth Williams was still alive, I yeah. spent an entire summer with the girl that I shared a flat with at the time, um, writing to people off the telly, asking yeah. for autographs. It was just a thing that we did, and we got a bucket. I mean, oh, I still who's your have, best? Who's your best? Uh, Bob Hoskins. Wow. And Kenneth Williams actually sent me, not only did he send me a signed photograph, he sent me a little handwritten note and a copy of a paperback book that he'd written. Oh, that's so Such nice. a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. I've got what, only one autograph, and it's a, now a shameful autograph. It's Rolf Harris. Oh, my God. <laughs> Moving swiftly on. I went around animal hospital with my rabbit. I got his autograph. <laughs> Did you really go on Animal Hospital with yeah. your autograph? Why is this not on your IMDb page yet? I know, Ellie? it should be. It should be. But I've tried desperately to try and find it, but I can't find it anywhere. Not like Children of Hearn. No. But yeah, Rolf, Rolf, I got Rolf's autograph. But um, I doubt yeah. that's as worth as much as perhaps it used to be. I still have it. It's on my pinboard at home. In, well, in my parents' house. Well, moving from one slightly convers- controversial subject to another, right? Because I often think that House of Fools is pretty much the closest thing that we've got now on yeah. telly to yeah. carry on films. Yeah, it is so cheesy. And I love, I just love carry on films. I mean, I know that some I know, people... I've never been, not because I don't want to, but just because I've never... I never, I never, I've never watched them. You see, I know people, some people at least, would think that they are, you know, politically incorrect mm. now. And, you know, I often just joke and say Sid James was my role model because, you know, who else are you going to say? Well, Sid James. Politically incorrect. Like, they're outrageous. But, like, have you seen the new Jurassic Park film? I haven't, no. It's just as, I reckon that's just as sexist, probably. You see, I think that Carry On films, particularly the ones from, um, you know, probably the mid to late 60s and 70s. Mm. Um, I mean, 
I think that they are incredible pieces of comedy. And yeah, some of the stuff we look back on now and we might think, well, that's that's sexist or, you know, that's not portraying women in a, in a particularly, you know, great light. But having said that, I, I often think when people dismiss carry-on films for those reasons, what they're forgetting is there were some incredible female comic performances. Yeah, that's I mean, very true. Barbara very Windsor true. Barbara Windsor is awesome. Hattie Jakes was phenomenal. <laughs> Um, Joan Sims, you know, all of these characters. If you yeah. watch somebody, like if you watch Joan Sims in something like Carry On Screaming, she yeah. is just amazing. But also like those kind of characters, like I, I know I haven't really, but I, obviously I know about them, but like at least they were sort of, you know, Monty Python was like, I, I reckon that was worse in a way because they, they didn't give women the time of day in that. They like, they dressed up as the comedy women, but they, all the women in that basically topless and screaming. Whereas carry on, at least they're like given meaty parts that they can kind of, even if they're a bit like, Oh, your tits are out, that kind of thing. But meaty, still parts. Like, meaty parts can be our show title. Uh, meaty parts with Ellie meaty White. Parts. Meaty parts. <laughs> No, I do. I do love Carry On films, and it does make me annoyed I'm sometimes. I'm going to go home and watch one when people. Well, I I really suggest if you're going to watch one, watch Carry On Screaming if you can find Carry it. Carry On Screaming. Okay, I'm make a note of it now. It's one of the very very few that had Jim Dale in it as a main character. Right. Um. And you know he was only in a, a few. Um. And he was he was just brilliant. I love Jim Dale, but it's 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 interesting because you know when you look back at the history of those Carry On films. Kenneth Williams in particular and Sid James to a certain extent really, you know, they did it for the money. Yeah. You know, they did the gig for the money. Kenneth Williams in particular really disliked. I mean, he didn't, I don't think that he liked Sid James very much anyway. Um, but he looked down on doing that kind of thing. I think in his autobiography, he often mm. talks about, you know, just not really wanting to do it, but, you know, needing to do it for the money. Mm. And, you know, it just goes to prove that, you know, they did these amazing comic performances they really yeah. turned it on even though yeah. they weren't particularly relishing the role yeah no it's, it's great I, I mean i as i say i have to go i have to go home and watch them now you've spoken so passionately about them i'm going to but i think i think house of fools that is probably quite a good reference but they they know how like they know those kind of jokes uh you know they, they're they're really aware of them like when barry crier you notice the bit where Barry Cryer's head just peeks through the window. There's like a really cheesy joke. And then Barry Cryer's head just like peeks through the window and then peeks back up. They just sort of like reference when they put in a, like a gag that they know is a gag. They just are like, oh, they're kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the audience. Like Barry Cryer could have written that. And I think that's great. I like all of that. Would you do a carry on film if you were offered the part? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. If, are they going to make them again? Well, no, there was an attempt to revive them, but it was in 1992. I just think they'd get so much abuse now, wouldn't they? They probably would. The last one that they released was in 1992, and it was Carry On Columbus, and it had Rick Mayle and Keith Allen and Alexis Sale and Julian Clary in it. Oh, my God. And Actually, Golden Cast, though. It didn't succeed. No. I just, I just think it's an era thing, isn't it? It's like you can't I, – I don't – it's kind of like I don't really know why they would remake it. it it's just such a different time now. And yeah. I think it's good that they don't remake it. And it's nice watching them and like relishing that time and that that's what it used to be like and that's what the film industry liked at that time. But and and watching watching those films again is great. But it's kind of like when they remade King Kong, like why why did they do that? Oh no, come on. No, the remake of King Kong was awesome. I love it. I didn't like it, and I didn't know why Jack Black was was playing that part. No, I liked him in that film, and I, another secret. You love films to do with monkeys and apes. I do love films to do with apes, and I always cry at the end when they kill King Kong. That's a spoiler, by the way, for anybody that hasn't seen you King Kong since 1930. The, beast. the ape dies at the end, and Andy always cries. I always cry when Spock dies. I always cry... Um, when do I always cry? I don't cry. I've got a heart of stone. Don't ever get me talking about Field of Dreams. I've never seen that. Probably for the best. <laughs> are you crying all the way through it? <laughs> no, I always cry at the end. So, what are you doing next? What's coming up for you? Are you still doing? Are you still doing fourteen jobs? I was. I did used to do fourteen jobs. I mean, I've I've done so many jobs since leaving university. So many jobs. 
but I'm not doing 14 jobs now. I I finished doing House of Fools and then I made with some other people a pilot for BBC that's coming out, I think in July or August. So look out for that. Is that something you can talk about? Yeah, it's a sketch show. What's it called? It's called People Time and it's going to be a comedy feed on BBC iPlayer and maybe be repeated on BBC Three at like 3am or something like that. And that's just a pilot, 25-minute pilot. A sketch show and there's a few of us in it and it should be all right. Should be good, I think, hopefully. Um, but we don't know like how, you know, about the future of that at this stage. They just sort of, it's like a pilot scheme for BBC Three. BBC Three, yeah, these feeds. Um, and it was it was good fun and very exciting experience. Did you write or are you just performing? There's seven of us and we wrote it and performed it. So watch out for that. It's like a gang. They, I think they wanted to do sort of gang show. So like with writer performers. Um, and um, I am now doing a thing for BBC Three. No, 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 ITV2, a sketch show for ITV2, which I don't know if I can talk about. But that's what I'm working on at the moment. So the big question, I suppose, is, is there going to be another House of Fools series? I don't know. I don't actually know. I really don't. Are you saying I that because you've signed an NDA or are you no, actually I, I don't genuinely know, don't know? Because I know that Jim and Bob are going on tour. And so I don't, I'm not sure whether there'll be a third one. We, we can only live, we live to hope. We live to hope. Well, if there is another one and Rachel's in it, mm. then I'd really like to come to the Manchester Television Centre. Yeah, you could. I can get anyone in. Really? Yeah. You're the lady to know. <laughs> I wonder whether you'd be able to change her character in the way that Dan Skinner changed Bosch, because that yeah, was such... Did. Between Series 1 and Series 2, that was just such a brilliant transformation. But he, that's the thing. That's why Vic and Bob are so great, because they, they trust the people that they cast, and they trust them to do like what they want with those characters, which is like, it's just, un, it's just so nice to have that and, and to be able to trust like the people that you work with enough to be like, create, create something that you want to do rather than like really prescribing it. No, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope they do another one because it's been one of my favourite shows over the last couple of years. That's good. Yeah, I think people really liked it. No, but seriously, I think that, I mean, there will be thousands of people listening who are just thinking, what, she doesn't have a website? Yeah, well, you've got to make it for me. Well, I'm sure that we can organise something. And, you know, I, I just think it's important. I mean, in terms of just like putting stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's not as important You could be my you. agent, my new agent as well. Do you have an agent? No, I do. <laughs> I, do. I was going to say, did you just fire him today to take me on? Um, no, but yeah, you could be my new one. No, no, she, I, she's lovely and great, but um, you, can be my, you can be my web agent, my web agent. See, it's not something that, in the industry designers tend to have i mean i don't know photographers because i used to be in the photographic industry years ago photographers mm. had maybe they still do agents um and obviously actors and performers have agents but designers graphic designers etc generally don't have agents i've never had an agent well i've had a book writing agent yeah um and i'm not really sure whether or not that did me any good or not yeah i don't know how it's it's strange because i just think yeah i mean because you then have to organize all of your your contracts and your and getting work yourself whereas I suppose an agent in acting just sort of sets it all up for you yeah and I think that that think designers could sometimes benefit from that because you know contracts are one of the things that designers do so badly and in fact one of the things that I'm reasonably well known for is I wrote uh, a sort of plain language contract killer is called um, killer contract that yeah. I basically open sourced and lots and lots of designers and developers around the world use my, Whoa. which is great. But I'll tell you what, this is another thing, which I can't really talk about that much. Right. Um, well, I'm sure I can now. It was, it was a few months ago. We're disclosing ago. a lot of stuff here today. We've now got to be open to these things. No, but I haven't talked about this on the podcast before, but I wrote this article um, on uh, a website uh, in 2004, I think it was. Yeah. And I published our open source contract and I wrote this whole kind of detective themed, no, 2009 or whenever it was, I don't know when yeah. it was, this whole kind of detective themed uh, contract article that wrapped around it. And I called it Contract Killer because, mm -hmm. you know, that's what you do. And if you Google Contract Killer, 
Yeah. My name and website will come up first on Google. Yeah. And I used to just joke about this until about three or four months ago, I started getting letters from America from obviously somebody that was completely deranged <gasps> offering me <gasps> contract kills. No. And basically giving me the names and addresses and details of people that they wanted dead. <gasps> sent to my, you know, my business address. Wow. And I was like, that is seriously like dark web stuff. Now I thought, hang on, this is, you know, it's got to be a wind up because, you know, because I do the podcast and because, you know, people generally like to take the piss out of me, they, I get lots of random shit sent to my house. So uh, I had at one point, um, somebody sent me an enormous amount of soap because I, because I joked on the podcast that you can't get good soap in hotel rooms. (laughs) You get that squirty stuff. You know, have you been to a premier Inn recently? Yeah. Oh, you're right. It is really, really horrible. It's not soap. So I joked about soap and weeing in hotel kettles and people sent me soap. That's amazing. And also somebody who thought it was really funny, whoever you are out there, decided to sign me up for senior citizen products on various websites. So I would get incontinence pants sent to my house or vouchers for Meals on Wheels. Wiltshire Farm Foods. So, God, there are perks, aren't there? there I, the, are the, perks. Yeah, well, of course, you know, the, there are perks to any job, and <laughs> incontinence pads are clearly mine. So, anyway, so I thought it's a wind up. And then I looked at these letters and I thought, no, this is, this is way, 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 way beyond wind up. Wow, that really is quite scary. So, I had to send them to the police. I've taken photographs of them and I might put God. the photographs online one day. But, um, yeah, no, they were bad. Wow, that really is, that really is bizarre. But contract, your name coming up under contract killer, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't get it before. But it's funny that someone would just type in contract killer into Google and then take the first contact they find and contact them and ask them to kill someone for them. Several years ago, there was a game released called Contract Killer, a video game. And we had somebody on the phone from a magazine uh, who wanted to interview me. And when we said, well, why would you want to interview Andy? They said, because he's a contract killer. <laughs> and I went, hang on a minute. No, he's not. He's a web designer that published a killer contract. And anyway, if he was a contract killer, you think you'd find him on Google? I mean, people are very... Thick. Thick. <laughs> they really, they really are. They really, they really are. Just like someone sitting in their bedroom, just being like, I want to find a contract killer, Googling them, getting their name and, and contacting them. It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. That's absolutely what brilliant. happens to me. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so agents, I think that it would sometimes be a good idea if there were people that could handle that kind of stuff for designers in the same yeah, way. Yeah, it may, does make for, life a lot easier. Yeah. And it's nice to have a support in this industry because it's so obviously so up and down and kind of, uh, well, I find, especially like starting out in it, which I feel like I sort of am, um, it's nice to have someone who's, you know, confident in you and believes in you and supporting you. And that's, you know, a professional as well, not just like your mum going, you can do it. Um, but it's, yeah, it feels nice to have that that contact who you can kind of call up and complain about, complain to, complain with about things. God, my grammar, what is wrong with me? complain about things with that's it yeah that's why you need a script i need a script i need my own script (laughs) a podcast script we should wrap this up yeah we should thank you so much for thank you for having me i don't know if anyone will want to listen to what i have to say but it was it was very nice chatting no i'm sure that they will and i've been really (laughs) really looking forward to this over the last several months while we've been trying to put this together so sorry i genuinely am very sorry for being so disorganized now that's okay i don't have an electronic diary i only have my old-fashioned diary and sometimes i leave it at home and I, i don't know what i'm doing you don't use the calendar on the iphone no i don't know how to use it well there are several thousand people that might want to send you a tutorial <laughs> i'm sure what's the best place for people to follow what you're doing if it's not on twitter twitter, it twitter. yeah so you are ellie white five on twitter yeah do you know who ellie white one two four is there is an ellie white who's a really famous uh romanian like dance pop singer so if you type ellie white into google she, she's the main ellie white that comes up wait a minute 
Wait a minute. Maybe she was in Children of I Earth. was going to ask you about your Romanian singing career yeah. before you were on House of Fools. It's not you? No. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sorry. This, 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 this whole thing, this whole thing's been a complete waste of time. Oh, You're not the Ellie White I was looking for. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I knew joking. there was, I knew there was a reason why you wanted to talk to me. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I really am. No, yeah, there's an Ellie White. I think she must have one, and then maybe like some fake accounts for her, and then me, Ellie White Five. Fake accounts are another thing that you'll get presumably as you uh, as you go on in the social media world i have uh, i've had a few in my time yeah th- there is actually um malarkey's cat wow, um, at I'm the moment, that. which is a twitter account that it took me several months to figure out who it was that was behind it because it's not controlled by me wow um, it's me and it's the, me. it isn't you and yeah the cat <laughs> would tweet things like oh no he's playing david bowie again oh my god which is quite funny so people can follow you on Twitter. You are Ellie White Five, yeah, as in the Jackson. I mean, Five. I'm not. I'm not going to promise anything special on there. Hmm. Mainly, I tweet my dad. I just like to tweet my dad on there, and that's about it. But I tweet updates, as in, like, I will publicise myself on. Well, I try to publicise myself on Twitter. So, I put if I have a gig or like my Edinburgh show. Oh, I could plug my Edinburgh show. You should plug your Edinburgh show and you should plug your gigs on a regular basis because yeah. I'm sure that wherever you're playing, people are going to want to come in and, uh, and check it out. Yeah. I mean, hopefully, maybe. Maybe not. No, or... they will. Trust me. I'm your agent. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for believing in me. People can follow me at Malarkey <laughs> and to ask questions or suggest topics, you can message this show on Twitter at unfinishedbz or you can email me he has at unfinished.com. BZ. And I mustn't forget to thank Shopify for helping to support this show. Thank you, Shopify. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. You're such a star. And didn't we have a lovely day? The day we rolled an insect. But what happens next? We all hold hands. And listen to Max for Harder Walking down the street in Africa Watching all the people going by Suddenly I look down at the floor And I see a box A box! And the curious girl that I am I pick up the box and look inside of it It's a head a child's head. A child's head! And I scream, I scream, but what can you expect? Picking up a box in Africa! Do you know what I've done? I've forgotten to press record. No, yeah. I don't know, seriously. <laughs> this is going off to a really okay, good start. Yeah, this is this is really rubbish. What an amateur.